We're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 5 today, uh, as was just read. So let me uh, invite you to turn there uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, Word today. Uh, we're actually at the, at the tail end uh, of our study of this letter. And Lord willing, uh, next week will be week 20 of this sermon series, five months, uh, but we'll wrap it up all next week. Um, if you haven't been with us, though, through the duration of this uh, series, this is essentially what First Peter is all about. This letter was written by the Apostle Peter, uh, who was a man who we know served with Jesus, uh, traveled with Jesus, he, he ministered with Jesus, and who we know was an, a, a personal eyewitness to, to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We know that Peter was uh, a leader of the church. He was a bold proclaimer, teacher, of the gospel. And here in this letter, Peter reminds us that really that Jesus changes everything, that, that he changes hearts, that he changes lives. And that in, in light of that reality, as changed people, Peter then shows us, he shows us how, how we are to live in a world that is not our true home. Peter has walked us through all these scenarios and all these different relationships. He's, he's told us how we're supposed to approach our jobs, how we're supposed to see politics, um, how we're supposed to view and treat our husbands and our wives. He's taught us uh, over and over and over again um, how we're supposed to handle and make it through trials and, and heartache and hardships of many kinds. But then as he, he closes his letter... What we see Peter do is sort of turn a, turn a page and, and look at the internal side of the church. He's been mostly focused outwardly. Now he turns inwardly. First, we're going to see him address the leaders in the church. And then he's going to share with us a final word to the church as a whole. So as we open up First Peter chapter 5, we see here that Peter uh, addresses the elders. Uh, that's the word he chooses here. And essentially, what he, what he does is encourage these church leaders, these pastors, to lead in such a way that Jesus' local church would flourish. Not only in the good times, uh, but in the trying times as well. And let me just say a couple different things uh, before we get into the specifics of this passage. Um, first of all, um, I want to acknowledge that there is no doubt a lot of confusion today uh, about what a pastor is uh, and even what they're supposed to do. Uh, and beyond that, uh, perhaps another question maybe you have sitting here or, or watching online uh, would be, well, why should I even care? That's not me. So why should I even care? Like today, maybe you came to this uh, place. Uh, maybe you physically came to space. You dragged yourself out of, the bed, out of bed. You looked outside. It's raining. And you made a tough decision. Do I watch online or come? Uh, some of you chose to come. Some of you, mm, you, you chose to stay. <laughs> um. And you came here, and you're like, okay, I got here, and oh, I'm believing, and I, I'm here. I want to be encouraged today. And then you come, and you're like, oh, interesting. I'm going to have to sit here and listen uh, to someone teach about pastors for the next 45 minutes, right? So how does that apply 
to, to, to your life? Or how does it connect with you in any way? And, and just so to that, I, just wanna, I would just want to say this. First of all, first of all it's, it's important that we all have a biblical and healthy understanding of what a pastor is and uh, what they are not. So that we all know what to expect from them and what not to expect from them. We need clarity on this issue so that our pastors know what they should be doing and so that you're not let down and disappointed when they aren't doing the things that you believe they should be doing. I think this is also important because it tells those who are not pastors how to be both helpful and prayerful for their pastors. Because let me tell you, Uh, pastors need a lot of help, uh, and they certainly need a lot of prayer. And then finally, I I believe having an understanding of the role of a pastor uh, communicates a visible or tangible standard for us. Because what we're going to, what we see through scriptures, or the scriptures, are that there are, there are markers, there are expectations and characteristics uh, that church leaders should have. And so knowing those things, knowing those things gives us all, each and every one of us, a standard to go after, uh, but also a standard to hold our leaders to. Uh, Because I was addressing the issue of of elders this week, you know, of course, I'm I'm studying and reading uh, quite a a bit uh, about this topic, even outside of 1 Peter 5. And um, I just so happened to stumble upon this really interesting discussion um, on the current state of the pastor in our cultural moment. That's what it was sort of called. Uh, This internal, this uh, current state of the pastor in our our cultural moment. And so uh, apparently, apparently, um, there was this survey done in the United States um, in 1934. Quite a long time ago, almost it's like 85 years ago, right? 1934. And they asked a group of people, um, both inside and outside the church, they asked them, what does a pastor do? Okay? Or what are your expectations of a pastor or of your pastor? And through that survey, it was something like 95% of the answers, 95% said one or a combination of five different things, okay? Five. 95% of the answers had about five, five different things. They said they should teach, they should preach, they do worship leading, they have some administration responsibility, and they mentor people. Okay, that's what they said. Well, uh, just to see how things have changed, uh, a group of people... Uh, did a similar study 50 years later, okay? Same question, those outside, those inside, mostly inside the church, actually, around mid-1980s. And and what they found is that the expectation of of the pastor and on the pastor had grew from five different things to 14 different things. So they listed the same things as before, teaching, preaching, worship leading, administration, mentoring, but then added to that, there were answers like this, sensitivity to the church, leading programs, 
oversees local missions, oversees, oversees missions. They should be leaders in social justice issues. They should be engaged in church planting. Things like that. And then today, the list has grown beyond that. It's grown beyond that even, beyond the 14. Now there's an expectation on pastors uh, to be great with management skills. They should be amazing strategic planners. They should be experts in leadership and leadership development. They are vision casters. They have to have a certain level of awareness uh, of about their fashion. Uh, and they need to have some social media swag as well. All right? Some of you like swag? Ask your neighbor or your kid at home what that means. Okay? Um, I don't know. Okay? Uh, and, and I was just thinking about this, going through this list. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you can come up with one. But I, I sat there and thought, I can't think of another job that has so many facets or expectations. Leader, vision caster, coach, admin, problem solver, innovator, got to be charismatic, creative, a caretaker, and a friend. On and on and on. And honestly, just even listing these again, I get tired <laughs> just listening, listing all these things. Uh, I'm not angry, by the way. <laughs> okay? uh, I'm just passionate. Those of you who know me, I'm not angry. What's my point, though, in saying all of that? The point is, the point is that no doubt now today, successful pastors are no longer just defined by their character or their ability to teach or apply the scriptures in a meaningful and profound way. Instead, success in the pastorate is determined by a list of gifts, skills, and expectations that were never supposed to be a part of the biblical job description. And what's been the result of that? Well, this is a pre-pandemic statistic. It's gotten worse. This is pre-pandemic. Did you know that 1,500 pastors per month quit? 1,500 pastors per month quit. They can't make it. They give up. And the pastors who do stay who do stay, who keep fighting, while they're doing church work and a lot of good things, they aren't able to focus on the main things and the most important things, which has led to unhealthy, weak, stagnant churches and a lot of churches that just die. Amidst a culture that is so shallow. Our culture is so shallow. We need deep churches, deep worship, deep teaching, deep discipleship, which requires deep pastors. We need to return to the biblical model of the pastorate, which Peter is going to address in part for us today. All right? So, with that in view, with that in view, now I want you to look at look with me at verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Okay, he says this. This is what Peter says. He says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And we'll pause there. So Peter here 
Uh, again, he, he turns his attention to the elders, and he exhorts them, is the word, which means um, he calls them to action with strong encouragement. Okay? Do this. There's this calling. I, you, this is what you should do. It's a command with strong encouragement. And we're going to get to those commands in just a minute. But first, uh, I think we have to answer the question, what is an elder? Uh, what is an elder? Okay. Who is he talking to? Well, uh, the term elder uh, comes from the word presbyteros. Okay, presbyteros. It's an important word. It's actually the most common term used in the, in the New Testament for local church leadership or a local church leader. We actually see it used 18 different times in the New Testament. And over and over again, we see that from the beginning of the early church, elders were, were individuals that were appointed within local contexts, like within uh, a local church to lead that group or that gathering. And it's interesting to note, I think, I think it's important actually, that the plural form of that word, uh, presbyteros, is, is always used. Every single time it's plural. In other words, the aim in the New Testament, again and again, was for plurality. It was never single. It was plural. A group of elders leading within a local context was the aim and the standard. Now, where some confusion comes in is that now and then, in the New Testament, uh, we see other terms used as well for leaders. So, for example, you see the word overseer, or sometimes you'll see the word shepherd, okay, which actually Peter is going to address in a second. But it's actually, it's really important for us to understand that those terms, again and again, we see them as interchangeable. It's the same word in the New Testament, or same role, excuse me, not same word, same role in the New Testament. So let me give you two really primary examples of this. First, we see Paul, uh, he's, he's talking or writing to a man named Titus, one of, his, one of his disciples, and he says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, and then verse 7. He says this, this is why I left you in Crete. So Paul planted churches in Crete. Okay, we know that. He leaves, but he leaves Titus there. Okay? And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. It says, make my work complete, literally. He says, do this, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then we skip to verse 7, skip one verse, and then he's describing those people, okay, those individuals, those elders, and he says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So he says to Titus, appoint elders in all these local contexts. He describes them and says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So choose people who are above reproach to oversee, appoint them as elders. Or how about in Acts chapter 20? Paul here calls the elders of Ephesus to be with him. Look at what he says, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he, he, he sends somebody to Ephesus and says, tell the elders we need to have a meeting. That would be pretty scary unless they knew what they wanted to meet Paul about, right? Paul's like, bring the elders, we got to talk. I would be shaking if Apostle Paul want to talk to me. But he says, come, I got to talk to the elders. And then verse 28, he's talking to the elders. 
And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, here it is, overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see here in both instances, and this isn't like unique, this is throughout the New Testament, the term elder and overseer are interchangeable. And so I think a good way to think about this is this, be this way, that, that the term or the word elder was the given title, but the word overseer or shepherd, again, a term we'll see in just a second, was the job description. Elder is the title. Overseer, shepherd was the job description. So I want to be really clear on that, okay, before we even enter into the text. The word elder, overseer, we're going to see shepherd, therefore pastor, all refers to the same persons, those who are responsible to lead the church, those who are the shepherds of the gathering, those who are responsible for pastoring God's people. And if you, I think this is really important to the context as well, but if you study the Old Testament uh, and you know the Old Testament practice of things, you'd know that this is not new. Okay, this is an Old Testament standard and an Old Testament pattern, right? In the Old Testament, in Israel, we know that over and over and over again, almost without exception, it was elders who ruled in the synagogues. Okay, they were mature men, men who knew and had experience with the scriptures. And each and every local congregation, each local synagogue had elders that led in them. And now then, we turn over to the New Testament and we see it's the same. That's why Paul says specifically here, by the way, in our text, he says, to the elders, what? Among you, he says, because it was a local expectation with a local responsibility. So Peter addresses these elders, these overseers, these pastors, and then he calls them to action. And what we're going to see him do here is give five exhortations, five encouragements, okay, pushes, callings to these elders. And we're going to move through these rather quickly. Starting in verse 2, he says this to them. This group of overseers, he says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, shepherd, shepherd the flock here, uh, we know it's being used to describe the, the broader function of what elders are meant to do. So he says, they are meant to shepherd. Again, it's their job description. They're meant to shepherd. And it's this shepherding language, by the way, where we get the term pastor from. Pastor is actually Latin. It's not Greek, okay? Which the New Testament is written in Greek. The term pastor is actually Latin. Actually, this is going to be a surprise to some of you, I'm sure. Uh, if you do a word study, any commentary, any, you know, name it. Uh, Bible Gateway, uh, Bible.org, whatever. If you do a word study in the New Testament of the word pastor, you know what? You won't find it there. The word's not there. The word pastor is not in the New Testament. But you do see the term shepherd. Okay? And he commands the elders to shepherd. Okay? 
And what do elders shepherd? What are they responsible for shepherding? He says, the flock of God. So this is a good thing for those of you who want to be a pastor or a good reminder of myself this week or those who are pastoring in this gathering. Um, This is not my flock. Uh, This is God's flock. Elders have the privilege, uh, the challenge, (laughs) the responsibility, the honor of shepherding God's flock. It's God's people. Now, uh, what I also know is that this actually isn't a perfect metaphor, okay? because shepherds are also sheep. Okay? So let's not be confused by that. But um, we'll go with Peter's metaphor and, and, and discuss just for a second here what do shepherds do. Uh, we could actually go really deeply into this. Some people have done this. Um, there are incredible uh, books out there, hundreds of pages that talk about the responsibility and duties of a shepherd, how that how they related with the sheep and how, you know, we have to understand that, to understand who Jesus was and his context and what shepherds do. Uh, We could go so deep into this. But just to keep it simple, because we have a lot to cover, um, what we know is that shepherds, they are responsible for a few things, but primarily the the health and safety of the sheep that are under their care. They're responsible for the health and safety of the sheep that are under their care which requires then that they know their sheep, lead their sheep, and protect their sheep. They exercise oversight, Peter says, uh, which means to watch over them. Okay? But there's one task okay, uh, when it comes to shepherding that's, uh, that's primary, like the most primary. Okay? There's a lot of responsibility, but most primary. We know here that the call... The call to shepherd here is primarily a call to feed. It's a call to feed. And how are God's people fed? Okay, Some of you are like, well, lunch, Casablanca, outside, or whatever. That's how I'm fed. What do you mean? Yeah. So um, let's, we're going spiritual here. Okay, all right. How are God's people fed? All right, simple, you know, through God's word. And so elders then have the responsibility primarily of teaching their gathering the word of God, teaching his truth, his gospel. And by the way, uh, that's, why, that's why when you look at the list, uh, and there are two primary lists, but when you look at the list of the qualification of an elder or of an overseer, 1 Timothy, Titus, there's only one gift mentioned there that's required. You have to have one gift. Everything else that's required is based on character. But there's one gift. It says there very clearly in both instances, they should be skilled, the word is, they should be skilled in teaching. Why? Because their primary calling is to feed. Okay? That's why, by the way, um, uh, when, when Jesus uh, uh, addresses Peter uh, by the lake, he's fishing, uh, Nate taught this a while ago, he comes in, and remember, he asks Peter uh, a couple questions, it's the same question, actually, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, and what does Peter say? Yes, I love you, yes, I love you, Lord, you know I love you, what's Jesus say to him? Oh, you love me, what are you supposed to do? Feed my sheep, <laughs> he says, that's your calling, walk into your calling, okay, So elders, elders feed the flock. 
They know the flock. They lead the flock. And why? Why? So that, so that the sheep can be nourished and become mature. So that Jesus' people uh, are equipped. So that the gospel is spread. So that people are built up. So that God's glory is had and the people's joy is full. That's the call here to shepherd the flock. Simple phrase, shepherd the flock, but it's deep and profound. Number two, a pastor should not lead out of duty or obligation. He says to the elders, do not lead out of duty. And it's interesting, it's interesting, as you read through these, uh, they begin with the negative. Okay, Peter starts with the negative. Um, and in Greek literature, by the way, um, it's common uh, to begin what you're writing with what you want to accent, okay? And so, so Peter is accenting what not to do first, okay? That's his primary concern. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Um, so he says, hey, elders, okay? Hey, elders, I want you to shepherd, he says, but not under compulsion. The word there is force, okay? Don't, don't shepherd by force, but, he says, but willingly, which is a desire, with a desire, and then he says, as God would have you. So elders are called to shepherd willingly and gladly. Not, not out of duty or have to. Okay, this is what the Lord wants of elders. And by the way, I think sheep want that as well. <laughs> like if a pastor doesn't want to be a pastor, <laughs> doesn't want to do this, who does it benefit? Not him, not the Lord, probably, and not the people he's shepherding, right? No one, right? It's certainly, it's going to not, it's going to have the opposite effect. It's going to hurt the gathering. You know, in my, in my time in Korea, uh, I've met so many young pastors, so many young pastors, and, and also uh, people who are uh, potentially wanting to be pastors. And I always tell them the same thing. Um, at the end, we do uh, some church planning training and discipleship training for pastors. We've been doing that for the last um, seven years. Um, and just, you know, several months ago, we were able to train, I think it was over, over 500, 500 um, either pastors or wannabe pastors about uh, church planting and multiplication and, and discipleship. But at the end, I always tell them the same thing every single time. And I mean it genuinely. It's not like just a phrase. I tell them, um, if you can't do, if you cannot do anything else uh, with your life, if you cannot do anything else with your life, then this job is probably for you. <laughs> but if you can do another job, if you're able, gifted, wanting to, willing to do another job, do it. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> uh, because there's going to be a lot of days, sometimes more days than... <laughs> not. Uh, more days in ministry where you'll wish you had. You'll wish you didn't do this. Um, leading a church is something you do when you can't do anything else. Um, so for example, for me, for me, um, I know for certain this is what God would have me to do. Um, it's not what I would have me to do. It's not what my intention was to do. Um, I wanted to go into um, business like my father and my, my two brothers. I wanted to go down that path and maybe involve sports in that in some way, maybe do sports management, something like that. Um, 
but that's not what God would have me to do. And so I'm here, I'm here willingly, willingly and gladly, because I know he's called me uh, to be here, to preach the gospel uh, to people. You know, pastoring is very hard, and um, a lot of you know this, and some of you don't, but it hurts a lot too. Sheep bite. Did you know that? Uh, (laughs) They tend to, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, I bit you last week, you know. You know, okay? Sheep bite, all right? But I'm joyful. I'm joyful here uh, because I know I'm here for him. And, peace, and, and Peter wants that to be the case for all pastors. So he says, don't lead out of compulsion or don't lead out of duty. Number three, Peter says, don't lead for shameful gain. Okay, don't, don't shepherd, don't become an elder, don't be a pastor for shameful gain. Again, it's verse two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And see it here? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, he says. Bottom line here, uh, pastoring, he says, shouldn't be done uh, with, with greed or out of greed or for money. Okay? So this is all about a, a motive issue. This is a motive issue here. Um, healthy elders shepherd because they love the word of God and because they love the people of God. It's not about position it's not about authority. It's not about a reputation or advancing their own standing. Okay? And, and this also has to do with financial stewardship then as well. Okay? So elders, we know, have the ultimate, uh, ultimate responsibility of caring for the money that is brought in to the gathering, which requires then that those individuals are also good at managing their own resources as well. Okay? It means they're generous, okay? that their character is above reproach when it comes to money. Okay? And so some of you know, and because of this, actually, it's one of the reasons why um, all of the money that is brought in, um, I get a, a monthly number, big number, but I have no idea um, who gives or, or how much. I choose to do that on purpose because I don't want my heart to be tied to money with an exception. Okay, um, the only exception is is that I I know, and it's not every month, but you know, at the end of the year, every six months, um, I will ask Carrie, um, who you guys know, Pastor Carrie. I will ask him: Is our leadership table are they generous? Are they being generous? And he doesn't tell me who, but thank the Lord, he's always said yes. <laughs> okay, because there's an expectation I have on those individuals that they're stewarding their money well. Um, so that they can steward the money of the gathering well, okay? That's the only exception. Number four, elders should not be domineering, he says. Okay, so they're shepherding the flock. They're, 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 they're leading not out of duty. They're, they're leading not for shameful gain. And then he says, elders should not be domineering. Verse three, he says, shepherd, shepherd, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is a really important call here, really important. Peter says, serve as an example and to not use leadership to dominate or domineer people. It means don't use your position or the authority that you've been given to hurt others in any way. Okay, whether it's you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, right? that's not the heart posture of an elder, okay, of a shepherd. 
And I'm sure, I'm sure you've either experienced this yourself, some of you, or you've known a person who's experienced this. Um, You know what it's like to serve under these types of leaders, right? It can be devastating, detrimental, right? And that's, by the way, why Peter chooses to add, add it to this list. It's that important. It's that serious. Pastors are to not lead by force of command, but rather by influence of example. So what that means, again, it doesn't matter how gifted the individual might be, how charismatic they might be, how much you like them and their personality. If they have a domineering uh, characteristic about them, they are disqualified, actually, from this role. And by the way, um, I think, again, this is why having a plurality, several leaders is so important. Um, because it creates accountability for the leaders, but also it creates balance, strength, and security for the gathering itself. Because a single individual doesn't have all the authority and all the power. Okay, So pastors, then, should not lead as authoritarians. Okay? Their authority, I could do a whole sermon on this, they do not lead as authoritarians. Their authority only comes from the word of God. That's it. When an elder, pastor, speaks the word of God, that's their authority. Otherwise, they have no authority. They're servants every other time. Their authority comes from the word. Every other time, they're the lowest on the totem pole. No authority. Shepherds are servants. They serve, they care, they love. And so there is no place for domineering in church leadership. None at all. Number five, I told you I'll move through these quickly. Number five, elders are called to keep glory in view at all times. Okay, keep glory in view at all times. This is verse four. Peter writes to these overseers. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, we know, of course, that the, the chief shepherd he's referring to here is Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And so Peter is reminding these elders, but also uh, the congregation. And so he's reminding all of us, all of us, that shepherds are ultimately under the shepherd. Okay, that's important. That all pastoring is under Jesus's shepherding, which means, which means the goal in leading within a church or within the church is to do his will, not our own. Okay, so for example, right, and those of you who have, you know, been around me or maybe you've gone to like a, a membership class here, you'll hear me say something like, right, we don't get to or pastors don't get to write their own mission statement for the church. That's nonsense, Right? Pastors and leaders don't get to define why the church exists. So I don't get to just like muster up like, okay, all right, how are, is Freedom Village going to be unique? Right? How is we going to be different from all of the other churches? Right? What's going what's to make us stand out in our vision statement? That's not how this works. Right? 
our job, our job is to simply be faithful in passing along what Jesus has already given us, right? My job, our job is not to be creative. It's to be faithful and obedient, all right? And then, and then Peter says, when Jesus appears, if you do that, when he returns for his followers, Peter reminds the elders, the pastors, the overseers, that they will be rewarded. By the way, he's already, Peter has already told us we're all going to be rewarded, okay, people with true faith. But he specifically points to elders here and says, you will be given a crown of glory. Why would he do that? Why would he single them out? Well, you've got to remember the context. Context matters. These Christians, we, if you remember, uh, they are under severe, intense persecution. Right? They're facing all sorts of trials, difficulties, hardships. And of course, of course, the leaders of the churches were always the ones who were persecuted most harshly. Always. Uh, that's still most often the case uh, even today, by the way. I had a friend, um, he's now in the States, in North Carolina, Uh, but um, he and his family, um, four children, uh, they served um, outside of, a small village outside of Beijing uh, for for years. Um, This was probably, oh, uh, over 10 years ago, 10 years ago or so, Um, and they were there for like seven years, Okay. And I remember he and I would have conversations. He knew I wanted to be a missionary as well. And we would talk about it and talk about what it's like over there. And it was a time of, you know, real difficulty over there. And I remember him telling me that um, they would have these gatherings, these secret gatherings, not just of the church, that was secret too, but they had these gatherings of just the leaders, of the pastors. And I remember um, (laughs) he told me this and it just like, it shook me. Uh, It gave me like goosebumps. He said, he went to this one um, home, and they brought him in. They had to go at night, very late, past midnight, and they, they covered him because he's, he's white American. So they covered him and put them between some people and snuck them up into this house. But they told him that once you go in the house, we're not going to leave there for three days because they couldn't. It's too dangerous. They're going to do a pastor's conference up there. So they got in there, and he says, it's all these older Chinese men. And they're about to have the meeting, And one of the leaders there looks at him and says to him, not in arrogance, but says, we only have one rule here. You're not allowed to speak or teach in these meetings unless you've been to prison at least three years. The rule. Um, They had all, and by the way, they had all done that, except for like two of them. And my friend was one of them, American. You don't speak. Scars beaten. Um, One of the pastors there, I remember he told me, um, had no fingernails. In the prison, they just, with pliers, just took them out. Those are the guys who are allowed to speak because they're devoted to the faith. They know they're not going to tell or show. These are the devoted. Pastors are always the ones that are targeted, primarily. Members too, but primarily. And so Peter, unknowing that, says to these leaders, who are being harshly persecuted, their families killed, says to them, don't give up. Keep leading those people faithfully. Stick to your calling, even though it's hard. 
Because why? The prize is coming. The prize is on its way. And this, this crown here, this crown here, the picture, all of you know it. You've seen it in a history book or in a movie. The crown here, uh, some of you watch like Gladiator, okay? The crown here is the Greco-Roman, the leafy crown. Some of you have seen it, okay? That leafy, it's like a, a horseshoe shape, that leafy crown. That's the, the picture he has in mind here. It's a crown that was awarded in this culture and time to those who won athletic contests, like in the Olympics sort of deal. Or military battles, leaders of the military battles. They were the only ones who were awarded that type of crown. But of course, we know, right, those crowns only came with momentary glory and worldly applause. They were fragile, frail, those crowns. But this crown here in verse 4, it's a crown, this crown of glory, it never fades away. It lasts forever. And Peter says, the crown of glory the crown of glory is yours if you keep going, if you persevere. You will be in the kingdom of God with Jesus forever, sharing in his glory if you remain faithful. It's a message he singles out to the elders, but it's for all of us here. That's the message. And then finally, we see Peter then, uh, he sort of just takes a quick, quick turn he, turned, he addresses the elders, and then he's got one quick thing to say to everybody else, and then he addresses everyone at the same time. Look how he does this. He turns to the congregation, and he says this. Uh, read verse 5 with me. The point is, clothe yourself with humility. But read verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay? Now, that word younger there, by the way, it can mean age. Okay, but we know more it has to do with uh, maturity or, uh, or uh, underneath right, the, those who are in leadership. So Peter briefly turns the congregation here and he says, be subject to your leaders. And we've talked a lot about submission uh, throughout First Peter. Okay, so I won't go that deeply into that. Go back and listen to um, Godly Husbands, Godly Wives uh, in the YouTube uh, stream there, or you can check it out on SoundCloud. You want to know what submission is and biblical submission, you can go there. But this is meant to be, we know, it's meant to be positive. This is healthy. Um, the word submission so often has a negative connotation to it in our culture. That's not the case in the scripture. This is for our good. Um, this is for uh, the congregation's flourishing. This is supposed to be life-giving. Right? So understand, and remember, the requirements before, right? Not being an authoritarian and doing it willfully. So again, we can understand and know and trust that submitting to your pastors here doesn't mean getting walked all over. It doesn't mean just doing whatever they say. It doesn't mean that you can't graciously disagree. Okay? But, but, it does mean, it does mean, that if you are following Jesus and you belong to the flock, the default mode, the default mode is to assume the best of your leaders, of your pastors. And the default mode is to graciously follow their lead. Follow. That even if you have questions, even if you have concerns, Yes, you can verbalize those things, but first and foremost, you assume and hope the best of them. Why? 
because you know their responsibility to God and you know their, heavily, their heavy responsibility over you. Your leaders, um, you know, you, I'm sure none of you think about this that often or lose sleep over this like me. The scriptures are clear that someday, someday, all of us have to give an account to God for our lives. Every one of us. You know, pastors, elders have to give an account not only of their own lives, but the people who are under their care as well. That's a heavy responsibility. And a reason sometimes I think, do we really, do I really want this church to grow? <laughs> like, it's enough to, like, at the end of the day, like, do I want to lead a church of like 1,000, 10,000 people? Because then I got to give an account of 10,000 people. God's going to go, oh, how did you do caring for, I don't even know who that was. They were at part of, yeah, they were there for 10 years. You never knew them. Yeah, by the way, you know that they were, they're not actually here in the king. Oh, and I'm who's responsible? It's in the book of Hebrews, by the way, chapter 13. Read it for yourself. (laughs) So you assume the best and you hope for the best, knowing the weight and the responsibility that they have to God and for you. Then to the whole gathering, including the elders, because now you're going to see this is a partnership. He calls every single person to humility. And that's essential here. To lead well, to serve well, to follow well, the key is humility. And so Peter quotes actually here. He quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. He says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God, here it is, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love the language he uses here. I love it. Okay? First of all, uh, and this isn't even in my notes, but I'm, it should be enough to strive for humility knowing that if you're not, God opposes you. Can you imagine that? Some of you, like, think of your favorite, you know, whatever, your favorite soccer team. You put on a jersey or whatever like that, and you're going to go into a match, and then, like, you got this great team, you know, whatever it is, Neymar and, you know, Messi and all that. They're on your team, like, we're going to win. And then God shows, Jesus shows up on the other team. He's by himself with another jersey on. You're going to lose. Okay, you have no chance. He could be all places at all times, and he knows what you're going to do before you do it. You're going to lose. He says, he is in opposition to you. God is in opposition to you if you are full of pride. It's a, it's a motivation to be humble, right? But I love the language he uses here. He says, because, because of that, because God opposes the proud, because God gives grace to the humble, it's beautiful. He says, clothe yourself with humility. He says, put on the garment of humility, church. Wear humility. Okay? Wear humility, because why? It never goes out of fashion. Humility matches everything in your closet. It's always in season. Any makeup you put, it matches. Humility matches. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. Humility, humility is a heart-level understanding. It's a heart-level, not just knowledge. It's a heart-level understanding that we are finite people. Here today, gone tomorrow. So small before the majestic God, dependent on Him at every moment for everything. 
We are finite. He is infinite. We are sinful. He is holy. We are temporary. He is eternal. And what happens is when those truths, when that reality grips your heart, grips your soul, when you truly understand that, you will grow in humility. True humility is realized there. It's rooted there in your dependence on God. And so Peter says, we are all called to put on these clothes together. It's like the church uniform, right? We're all meant to wear these clothes together. And I've heard it said this way before. I really like it. Um, I like this phrase. Humility is the oil that allows everything within the body to run smoothly and lovingly. Good pastor said that. Humility is the oil that allows everything within the body to run smoothly and lovingly. And so what does that mean? There's no place for pride here. None. Not from the leaders, not from the members. Uh, We have to. We have to. And this is a fight. This isn't something that you just get up and naturally do. We have to take off pride. Throw off pride if we want to be the type of church that God desires. We have to throw off pride if we want the church to function in a healthy way. Pastor or no pastor, we're all called to humility. So, uh, church family, know this. Know this. Elders, okay, elders are appointed within the body, within the body, to shepherd, to shepherd and to oversee, to care for Jesus' people, to uphold, elevate the gospel, and to proclaim that gospel, to proclaim, to teach the word of God. And they are to do that. They are to do that with a glad heart, a selfless heart, a humble heart, and with eternity always in view. And you should, by the way, now, now you know what to expect of them. That's what you should expect of and from your leaders. And not much more, okay? And your calling, your calling in the body, if you're a non-elder or a non-pastor, your calling towards your leaders, towards those leaders, it's also a call to serve. We're both called to serve. You have a calling to serve as well. It's a call to follow Jesus and to follow your leaders, your pastors, as they follow Jesus and to do that faithfully. It's a call. You have a calling to serve by committing to a local body of believers. Okay, so I encourage you, partner with a local church. Belong to a local church. And we said this before. I said that shepherds are responsible. They are called, actually, to care for their flock, their sheep. That's the call. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus here today, maybe here in person, maybe you're watching online, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I can ask you a simple question. What flock of sheep do you belong to? So that your leaders, your pastors, your overseers can start to provide care for you. Because their calling is to provide care for their sheep, for their flock, for God's flock that's entrusted to their care. So what flock do you belong to? And then finally, you have a calling 
and that is to pray for your leaders, to pray for your pastors. Um, even saying this, like I get a little bit uncomfortable because it sounds selfish, but you do have a biblical responsibility to pray for me and your leaders here, to pray for us. You see that call, by the way, several times throughout the New Testament. Again and again, Paul asked, please, you know, pray, pray for me, pray for me. So please pray. Currently, um, here at Freedom Village, um, we have a, a leadership team, okay, that serves as the oversight of this body, okay? Um, we've been functioning that way for a season now. But beginning this summer, okay, more serious thought and discussion um, is going to happen and going to be given towards appointing, appointing official elders of FEC. And we uh, are a one and a half years old uh, as a church right now, and so um, I felt strongly that this is about the time, um, about a year and a half, two-year mark, that we should be appointing um, elders, a plurality of elders, uh, to oversee and to officially shepherd this gathering. And as the members of Freedom Village, uh, you will have some participation uh, when it comes uh, time for that. Um, but for now, but for now, what's your responsibility? Please be praying. Please be praying for your oversight team. Pray for me. Okay, pray for me. Pray for uh, Pastor Kerry. Pastor Kerry is in Pyeongtaek right now. He's serving that, um, that gathering. You know he goes back and forth, some of you, but he's leading worship often uh, here as well. Please pray for Pastor Kerry. He's on that leadership team. Please pray for Paul Falgett. He was leading, helping lead worship today. He's usually in the back um, doing tech stuff. Okay, Paul is on that team. Uh, please pray for Isaac Kraft. A lot of you know um, Isaac um, uh, Kraft. Um, he's got five kids and is a part of SIBC. He and his wife, Allie, for a long season. Please pray for Isaac. Uh, please pray for Nathan Bingaman. He's over here in the checkered shirt. Okay, you'll see him uh, from time to time speaking um, as well and up here and leading communion and, and those things, um, leading missional family. And please pray for David Benedict. He's the other one. Okay, he's up here leading, sometimes leading worship as well, also uh, leads a missional family. He's not here in this season, his wife. Um, actually, her third baby was due like a couple days ago, um, but that's why he's not here. Uh, but please be praying for him as well. So please, again, I'll ask you, please, uh, pray for me uh, and for those men as we try to fulfill these very high uh, and serious expectations. Uh, we need your prayers. So, so listen, okay? As we close today, uh, regardless of your role, the call is to serve. Regardless of who you are here today, the call is to serve. That's the message. The call is to love, and ultimately the call is to do all of this humbly together. Um, I can't tell you enough how much I believe in this. We are in this together. We need each other. Uh, We need each other. Every single thing that happens in this space, uh, in this place, on a week-in and week-out basis, all of it matters. Uh, From those of you who help with parking to to greeting to to set up, so much goes on here that a lot of you don't know and don't see. Um, To those who clean up afterwards that a lot of you don't, see. Um, If you sing here at Freedom Village, if uh, you're running tech here and making the live stream available, setting up the camera each and every week, Um, if you're teaching kids, holding babies, uh, to those who pray faithfully, Uh, maybe some of you, there's several of you leading missional family, some of you teach and preach and you're part of that ministry here. We need each other. All of it matters. Together, 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 we are an embassy 
of the kingdom of God. Do you know that? We're an embassy of the kingdom of God. We are an outpost, an outpost as a local church in Heibangchan, in Itaewon, in Seoul, in Korea. We are an outpost for the gospel. We are here as a local church for his glory and to spread as much joy as possible until Jesus comes. So let's turn from our pride. Let's clothe ourselves with humility. Um, I want you to know that your leaders here at Freedom Village um, are with you uh, and we are for you. But even better, our God is. Let's pray together.